Hey team, it's Mickey here. You're listening to Wikipedia, and I am bringing this week some extra episodes in light of the fact that I am in Waikiki and in Kona at a sports medicine conference and I'm here for the women's race of the world championships in Ironman. So I'm super stoked to be here and I'd love just to share some more insights really into the race what's available at the expo, the the general sort of vibe, but also, of course, the geeky sports medicine stuff. The Geek Out, though, starts with this episode, which I did with my mate, Rob Dallymore, all about wearables. We do a bit of a geeky deep dive into power meters, how to adjust for the heat, what some of the pros and cons are, And then we move on into heart rate monitors, what to look out for, what to avoid. We talk about running power meters, such as Stride, a new wearable that looks at core body temperature, what athletes should even think about or consider when wearing or wanting to look for wearables, and then also continuous glucose monitoring. Rob also talks about the heat training protocols that he uses with his athletes, and also, of course, we discuss how important it is to trust your intuition when it comes to training, recovering, and, of course, racing. So those of you unfamiliar with Rob, he is a triathlon coach, a really old friend of mine and he has an extensive background in endurance sports himself having competed at a high level in running, duathlon, triathlon and multi-sport. He's competed in 19 Ironman events and has lost count of the number of half Ironman and shorter distance triathlon races that he's competed in. He's a long history in the sport, as you will hear, having raced for over 20 years and coached for a very similar period of time. He has raced the Ironman World Championships in Hawaii, so he knows what is going on when we're out there, and has represented New Zealand at the age group long and Olympic distance world championships numerous times. He has a professional background not only as a triathlon coach but as a sports podiatrist so he has the added benefit of these skills and a unique understanding of training with a focus on injury prevention and management. He really likes getting stuck into the analysis of training and race data as you will hear as we discuss this stuff such as power, heart rate, pace, heart rate variability and a host of other things. So I think that those of you who are absolutely interested in endurance, sport, triathlon particularly, and who are data geeks will really love this chat that I have with Rob, but also even someone like me who is certainly not data-driven, really learnt a lot and was interested in what Rob had to say all around this area. We'll have a couple of other chats across the week. This was done in the hotel room, so if there is background noise, that'll be what you sort of hear because it's just in the moment and not a lot of editing, etc. has gone on. But Rob speaks so well, and I think that um, any sort of background noise certainly won't detract from the conversation that I have. Now, Rob can be found at foottraffic.com. And we will put links to him and his bio in the show notes. 
And just one thing I'd like to quickly tell you is that my mic dropped out near the end of Rob and my conversation. Thankfully though, he is the one with all of the gems, so you certainly will not be missing any of the super important stuff. For now though, please enjoy this extra episode of Wikipedia. Okay, cool. Cool. So, um, Rob McD, mm. <laughs> thank you so much for taking time to speak to me today. It's I, an honor. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Um, I'm stoked because what I wanted to do with the podcast is give people a little bit more sort of athlete-oriented information since we're in Kona, yeah. and I'm hoping this will be the first of a few chats we have this week yeah. on just you know everything sort of Kona related and particularly today what I wanted to kick off with is a little bit about wearables and I think I've seen you at different points with at least two if not more on your person as we go out for a run or you're on a bike or whatever so I thought hey you'd be the perfect person to chat about. Yeah I often get uh, called out for the amount of gadgets that I've got on me. It's not my fault. (laughs) I just want to try everything out. (laughs) That's it, right? See, and it's your enthusiasm about it, which made me think you'd be perfect. So for people who uh, don't know who you are, can you give us a bit of a background on you as both your experience, both obviously professionally, but also as an athlete? Sure. So uh, I'm a triathlon coach. Um, I've got a background in, um, I was initially a sports podiatrist for, for 10 years and um a long time ago and i uh sort of uh shut the sports podiatry clinic door one day and the next door next day i opened up a triathlon coaching business door so uh i I transitioned pretty quickly into coaching athletes for triathlon because it's something i've done for nearly 30 years now and uh, i've got a pretty good pretty good grasp on how how to get through the training for um for triathlon events and in particular long course ironman type events that obviously we're here for now um and just over those years i've uh, learned a lot around um how an age grouper can uh optimize their training by um utilizing the equipment that's available to them yeah and it's amazing the last so i've i've been to kona i've been to i've raced it three times i've been to watch it another probably half a dozen times maybe four times four or five times uh and it's amazing over those years, as as I've been back, how people have adapted to the equipment that's available to them. Yeah. Now the first the first time I ever raced Kona was in two thousand and seven, and there was no such thing as a as a power meter on an age groupers bike. Mm. Some of the professionals had them, but the age groupers didn't really have them because they were so cost prohibitive, and really no one knew what what to do with them. I was actually given by a uh, company that I was associated with at the time. I was given a, a kind of a prototype power meter which used wind resistance to determine the power output and it was a clunky old thing that hung off the front of the handlebars and it, it wouldn't work on rough roads yeah <laughs> and and it was I, to be honest i didn't even use it in the race because i actually looked at it and thought i don't know what this power what this number means so so, <laughs> so a couple of questions one the uh 
elite athletes had them? Did they have them racing as well as training? Like, would it, would it, would it have been like the old style GPS, which was like a massive battery? Or was it actually smaller and wouldn't have contributed to too much back, additional weight? Like, yeah, I mean, back then they were pretty, pretty clunky, archaic devices that were cabled. They had, they had cable connection from the power meter to the, uh, to the head unit. Huh. Um, and, and that was always a bit of a difficult thing to set up. Uh, the batteries would last, wouldn't last a particularly long time. You'd have to send the machine away to get batteries replaced. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and they were super expensive and, and, and really the, some professionals used them, but actually a lot of professionals didn't use them because again, you know, there just wasn't much information around what to do with it. And yeah. for a professional athlete who's doing a race, they just want to do the race you know that's the the intention is for them to race the race not to race with within themselves yeah it's changed a little bit as we know more and more about training but it's quite a famous situation and i think it was 91 and 92 ironman hawaii world champs where um a, a well-known finnish athlete called Pauli kuru who was sponsored by polar at the time and polar you know as we know now is a is a big player in the power meter market and uh, the, the heart rate monitor market but back then um it was a reasonably new technology and uh he was a, he was a slave to the power meter yeah just sorry a slave to the heart rate monitor and and it was quite famous in that he if you watch the coverage of it the old footage of it he you could tell that he had more in the tank but he was always holding back because his heart rate monitor was telling him that oh. don't go over this value yeah. and he ended up coming second and it was probably a race you know, Mark Allen won it, and Mark Allen was the, the greatest triathlete of all times at that time. But, you know, did this guy cost himself the win by being a slave to the heart rate monitor, not necessarily knowing what it what what the body could do, but looking at it and going, I need to I need to stick within my limits because of this. Yeah. Now we know training and racing in the heat has such a wide um, has has so much variability on your heart rate that. You know, he's, he was Finnish, so he was from a northern hemisphere, you know, almost Arctic um, country, that maybe his training was all done in reasonably moderate and temperate climates, where yeah. as soon as he got to the heat of Kona, was his heart rate giving him a different number because he hadn't trained in those conditions before and he didn't know what he was looking at. And you've you got to ask yourself, you know, was that the time that technology overtook the, the race? And it probably was. And I'm sure that's happened since where... Athletes have have followed a number, not not understanding what that number means and how to manipulate it or how how to manipulate themselves around it, and have seen a race go up the road, okay. or vice vice versa. Maybe maybe followed it too closely, not listening to the signals within their body and yeah. not perhaps slowing down um, like they should have. Yeah, and I think that really speaks to doesn't it the the becoming being an intuitive athlete or coach as well mm. and taking not only that objective data but also integrating the really important rate of perceived exertion or whatever else you want to use that also determines you know subjectively how the athlete is feeling yeah i mean the to a well-trained athlete the, the most reliable metering device is their brain yeah. um, and their and their body's endocrine system and, and understanding um, what signals their body is giving uh, in terms of pain effort um, you know, sweat rate, stuff like that. Just perceiving those things is probably more accurate than any any device that you can plug in or stick to yourself. 
um, there, there's a quite a famous quote where people are um, uh, where it's a paralysis by analysis, and so there's so much information to analyze, you, you go nowhere. Yeah, you're, you're stuck in the stuck in this one spot. And saying that, I mean, we're talking about technology here, and I've got all these gadgets in front of me. But yeah. So, so you, you do take it in context because you can't use this stuff without without studying it and learning it how it works. So most of the bits and pieces that we've got in front of me now, I've spent time um, analyzing it and learning it and figuring out the idiosyncrasies of it and, and how it works for me and how it might work for others. Yeah. Rather than just plugging in and putting it on and just, just going, well, this is what other people say it should be, so this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. So can I just ask you, before we move on to the one which I want to talk about stride, uh, but before we move on to that, like, question. So if someone is got a standard power meter on their trainer and they use it to determine their training zones or whatnot then they're over here and they're racing in Kona how do how is it adjusted this is like a 101 question but how is that data adjusted to account for the change in environment or the or anything else or the humidity and, and things like that it's more than a 101 question this is like a this is like a, a, a one point one five question. Like, oh, okay. we're, a long, we're a long way down the track with this stuff, which is great because um, right now we're talking about, um, you know, if you've, it's it's not uncommon for for age groupers these days to have two bikes yeah. with two power meters, yes, and a smart trainer, yes. which has its own power meter, and so you've got three different devices. One may be measuring from the crank, let's say it's a quark or an SRM. One measuring, maybe measure the other bike might be measuring from the pedals, which yeah. if it's a Favero or a Garmin pedal power meter, and the smart trainer is measuring from the uh, the, the rear of the drivetrain. Yes. So so you've got three different devices measuring a number that, as an athlete, you look at and you you live and die by this number. But you, there's so many variables and differences between those three measuring devices that you actually can't go well. My indoor trainer says I'm putting out this many watts. Therefore, when I'm on the road using my power meter pedals, I'm I'm putting up the same watts because yeah. you're not. There's there's so many mechanical pieces between those two devices, um, let alone um, the the reliability and the accuracy of the software to to actually say that these things are these things are exact. There are tests now. There are tests that you can do to to measure how accurate they are and give you some um, re, some some. Um, relief in knowing that these two devices are similar yeah and i've done those tests i've got two different i've got three three different bikes two different power meters on each one i've got a smart trainer and i've done the tests and i can and i've seen that all all of them are pretty close yeah, like okay. less than one percent difference which is which is it's, it's awesome it's great so rob so you've done these tests on yourself would that number hold true for any athlete or is it something which so any athlete that you coach you're going to tell them to do these particular tests so that you can work out what their individual sort of variation yeah, is. Yeah a lot of the time we'll, we'll individualize it yeah. and um, and look at the equipment the athlete's got and go well sometimes I mean if it's as simple as a, as a power pedal you can actually put those pedals on you can use those pedals as your power meter source yes. on the indoor trainer and disregard what the smart trainer is giving you so you fix up that issue there um, but yeah most of the most of the times where I've got athletes using Different power meters will will go about some tests to try and figure out how accurate they are, and uh, and their their power zones that we've got generated in the training software will, will have a range for yeah. them to work to. Because actually, you don't like even though it's lovely to work to a, a specific number. Yeah, you, you just, the body runs on a continuum, and it just can't 
can't do that number. And I've always said to someone, oh, you know, I might get a report back from an athlete to say, oh, I didn't hit my target watts today. And I look at it and I'm like, you're in the vicinity. Yeah, like totally. you're, you're actually getting a training effect. Let's let's not worry about how accurate it was. It's yeah. like, yeah, you were close to it. I mean, you're either under it or below it, and, and uh, either way, I'm happy. That, see, <laughs> that's how I've been doing my pacing for my, my marathon. I'm like, well, you know, my marathon pace is anywhere from 440 to 450. Yeah. On a given day, depending, like, and I feel like that is that that at the end of that marathon, if I'm able to stick within that pace, even though the actual number at the end is quite probably quite different between a mm. 440 per kilometer uh, uh, pace versus 450, but I know that that sort of a re I should be reasonably happy regardless of the outcome. Yeah, and yeah. the other thing is, you know, come race day, if you if you if you've dealt with the taper and, and you've got the nutritional side of things sorted out, you, you, the body is going to fall into place yeah. when the race comes around. Yeah. And, but you, you're lucky. I'm lucky because we've done enough to know that I'm, I'm, I'm going to run a good time today because I can feel it. I guess other athletes will struggle. Because, yeah. You know, it's like, what if I, I can't hit my power? I can't hit my pace in training. How do I know I can do it in racing? Totally, actually. <laughs> and it is. It's like you rock on up to a start. You almost, you, you wake up and I remember a couple of races, one of my Rotorua Marathon, I think maybe the second time I'd done it, I was out there gunning to do a better time, knowing I wouldn't win it because LTH was running that <laughs> year and, you know, a range of other amazing runners. And I, but I knew that I, I, I knew that I'd done the training to be able to do a better time, which could have been my first sub three. Uh, but I remember waking up and just going, it's not my day today. Yeah. You know, you just know it. Even yeah. though you don't yeah. want to talk yourself out of it before you've even begun, you also can recognize enough what's going on that, you know, things are either good or bad. Uh, yeah. So yeah. then, Rob, how would you determine, like, a, how is it determined your power for these type of climates if you're not used to it? Yeah, it's, that's a it's a difficult one because, you know, anyone who race, anyone who trains southern hemisphere new zealand australia we're, we're in winter come here and you're in the middle of summer or well, yeah. the heat of what's well, actually not the middle but it's it's a lot hotter and um you know that's so there's 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 a couple of things there's the physiological impact is obviously is is real mm. and you and you feel it but i also have a, i also am really in tune with the psychological side of it as well and and just not talking yourself out of of still being able to do your best in these yeah. conditions like yeah you haven't trained and raced in this heat before but the only thing that's stopping you doing that is is your ability to to think smartly on on the day and understand that yep things are going to be affected but if I'm positive if I'm confident the whole way through and I do all everything smart and if I tick all the boxes in terms of hydration and cooling and and fueling and and pacing then you know there's no reason why you, you can't turn up to Kona and, and have a phenomenal race and a phenomenal performance and we've seen it year in year out from New Zealand athletes that have gone there and, and done very well yeah so so there are there are some things that I prepare my athletes for and in, in get into that stage and, and the first one is certainly the mental side of it and saying you know you've got to be clear of mind you've got to be understanding where you are right in that point in time and knowing that what you're doing right now is the best thing for you to get to the finish in your best best possible shape and dealing with that right then before you think of anything else mm. um but then in terms of the training side of it uh we will do um if if anyone's got access if anyone has an accessible if anyone's got accessibility to the AUT heat chamber um we go into a heat protocol training so yeah. the Auckland based athletes have have done that 
Um, and that's, you know, that's a hugely effective way to train. And yeah. the, the protocol for it is pretty low in terms of the impact it can provide. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a low stress, highly effective way of adapting to these conditions. Okay. Uh, it's low stress after it, but during it, it's incredibly, incredibly difficult and uncomfortable. Yeah. But the effects that you get from it is, is so great that heat training is, is the one thing that will set you up for a good performance here. What about just a sauna? Because that's what I've been doing. Yeah, saunas are, saunas are amazing. Um, and saunas at the right time of your training, um, which in most cases will be immediately after your workout, going yeah. into a sauna for 10, 15, 20 minutes, yeah. and not hydrating before it. Um, yes. and, and that's a real mental test day. Eh? And yeah. I reckon that, that strengthens the brain as much as anything, like sauna battles. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Someone else who comes in and you try to stay longer. Yeah. As long as you're doing the right things after it and hydrating yourself and, and you haven't pushed yourself past the limits, it's, it's a hugely effective thing. And you can use your heart rate monitor to actually, if, to actually measure the impact of the, of the sauna. So you'll get in there. And, and some people will hit aerobic threshold sitting on a sauna. Okay. Doing nothing. Yeah. Um, and if you can mo monitor it and follow it, follow that progress over a series of, of days or weeks, you might actually see that my heart rate doesn't get as high after 15 minutes in the sauna. I'm beginning to adapt to the heat. Okay, so because um, that's me, you've just you've just absolutely nailed that to a T. One, I do mental battles with Cam Langsford. <laughs> I always want to be him in this one. Me, obviously, <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. Uh, and uh, and two is that my heart rate, and this is actually let's we'll segue to heart rate after this because I only use my Garmin. I've only ever used my Garmin wristwatch, and what I find with it is that when I'm running, it immediately goes to like one fifty to one eighty is my is my zone to the point that I've actually set my zones up to be higher, so mm. I'm not constantly overreaching according to my watch. Because physiologically, that's always been the way. I just haven't been able. I never hold a low sort of heart rate. I wouldn't know what one thirty running even would feel. I'd have to walk mm. to be one thirty. Um, and uh, but when I'm in the sauna, before I go on to my next point, is it it only ever gets to it's only ever high if I come in from a run, uh, and then it might drop a little bit and then go up a little bit more, but never to the extent that I'm actually mm. sort of running. Um, but it's it, certainly adapted. There is that effect that you're still burning, and you're still cooking after a workout. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's that's often the most effective. Uh, the most efficient time of, of um, you know, carbohydrate usage is immediately after you work out that post-exercise yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. stage. So if you are in a sauna straight away, then the, the effects are massive. And some, some athletes have, have called um, um, sauna or heat training the, 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 the poor athlete's altitude training. Oh, nice. You, know, you, know, yeah, you, can, yeah. you don't have to go to an altitude camp. You can just step into a sauna. Yeah, yeah, um, cool. And it's effective. But circling back a little bit, so talking about how to prepare an athlete for their power zones, or their power pacing, um, that's where perceived effort becomes so handy because, yeah. um, like, for example, I've got an athlete who's in Cambridge and, you know, Cambridge in the middle of winter is not easy to train for, Hawaii. So uh, his training has been basically, this is, we'll have a range of power to work to, we'll have a heart rate to monitor, but in the end, it's, if you feel you can hold this effort for the five hours that the bike ride is going to take you, then that's the right effort. And then we'll get to Hawaii, so he's here now, and touch on some race-specific intervals on based on how you're feeling uh, in Hawaii, and and from there we'll we'll get the information on what the power will be. So I haven't actually spoken to my athletes 
and what their power tra- power targets will be for race day because they haven't seen how they've how they're coping in the heat. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a discussion that we'll have probably two days out. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I know that their training up to now has been. Well, I feel like this is going to be my pace. Yeah, cool. And I'll look at it discreetly and go and think to myself, hey, probably a little bit hot there, so let's pull it back a little bit. Because what you do find is you get up onto the the road and, and you settle into your rhythm and, um, you know, your your power meter is suddenly reading quite low. And you yes. think, this is not very good. I've got to push harder. So you push harder. But what the athletes don't often consider is that the higher the temperature, the higher your core your core body temperature, the hard, the less power you can put out as an athlete. Yeah. So if you can cool your body down during the race or um, not so much an Ironman before it, but in shorter shorter distances before it, your ability to put out power during the race is, is a lot is a lot better. So so putting an athlete into a race like this, understanding that you're not going to do the same power that you do at Ironman New Zealand. Yeah. But um, so you'll do you'll do less power, your heart rate will, is going to be higher because yeah. of the, the effect of the heat. But your speed's probably going to be higher because the road's a lot better as well. Okay. So, so you get this whole thing of the athlete coming back and going, man, I, I was sitting on 45k an hour at 175 watts and my heart rate was like 150. It's like, these numbers are completely different to what I would expect. Yeah. And that's exactly what I would expect because there's so many, this is such a different place to I mean New Zealand that, yeah, um, yeah you, you need to go into it with a little bit of an open mind to just wait to see how you feel yeah. about it. Um, so once, once we sort of know how the body is going to adapt, and, and react to these conditions, then we can start putting that, that yeah. plan together. So I, I, I would expect if if I was to turn up to an Ironman here and I sit at 210 watts for an Ironman New Zealand, I'd probably look to be about 195 to 200 watts here. So okay. let's say um, 5, 5% less. Yeah, but you um, may go at a similar speed because of the different environment, like the, the roads, the different Yeah, probably like faster, that. yeah. Like, I, yeah. you know, everyone talks about the, the wind here. And I'm like, yeah, it's windy, but you're doing 40k an hour into it because okay. the, the roads are so smooth. Yeah, interesting. Um, but the other thing is, 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 is the effect of the heat and the conditions on the run is so much greater than it is on the bike that we almost need to go into the bike under underperforming. Yes. To know that, who cares if you ride five hours? Yeah. Uh, and you probably, you know, you could have gone. You, you probably went ten minutes quicker than you you should have because the roads are so fast, and it's such a it's so easy to get into that rhythm if you ride so much quicker than you would expect to, how, do you, how can you expect yourself to run better? Yeah. And so, so many athletes we see will underperform on the run because they've just put, put that little bit too much effort out on the bike. Yeah. So, so really in Kona, it's, it's, it's a running race from about 20K. Yeah, okay. You know, up until then, it's just wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that must be super hard. It's horrible. For, yeah, for the athletes. <laughs> so, Rob, yep. can we chat then about heart rate monitors? Because... Yep. I, as I said, I'm pretty sure that my, regardless of what mine says, however I measure it, I'm pretty sure that the wrist-based wearables aren't that accurate. People always go by them, and it's the only mm. one that I've I've got to use because I hate a chest strap. So, what is it about the wrist wearable that makes it so inaccurate? Well, it's. I'll preface this with with the great term that I use. It's. The, the, there's only one thing worse than no data is the wrong data. Yeah. And so, and, and we, we say that by, you know, because with the with the wrist heart rate monitors, initially when they came out, I thought this is great. You know, we, we've got something here, which means people who don't like wearing a chest strap can, can actually use a heart rate monitor that, that is, is accurate. Yeah. And um, the first few ones were, were not great. Um, as, as companies, you know, improve and develop their hardware, they came out with better, better, 
devices and the software improved and the accuracy improved. But in the end, it doesn't take much. If you look at how the watch sits on your wrist, right in front of it, there's a big chunky bone. Yes. And some people, it's more prominent than others. It's not. An, it does. It only takes a small tilt of that wrist yeah. for that bone to push your watch up, and then for a little bit of light to get underneath it. And as soon as that light gets under there, that that alters the signal from. Okay. So you, the heart. So so the 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 LED lights and behind the um, the the watch are reading a different signal because there's light that's getting let in, let in there. So it's basically like a dark room in a, in, for a photographer. As soon as you let a little bit of light in, yeah. it's, it's all wrong. It's yeah, messed okay. up. So, so, then, so there's that. Then, um, so I th sort of thought, well, what's a good way around it? You wear your watch further, a little bit further up your arm, you could do that. Yeah. A little bit uncomfortable, but weird. Put it on a bit tighter, that's not particularly comfortable. No. Um, so then, I just, then you just get to the point of, well, I'm just going to go back to the chest strap because actually in the end, the chest strap was always accurate because it was always on. It was always easy to wear um, and pretty pretty basic. There were some problems with chest straps, um, and it was basically in the way they were manufactured is um, they would often get funny signals from high tension power lines, and there was all these rumors around. You know, high, you know, some people if they've got a hairy chest, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't work as well, or high tension lines would affect the signal, or you know, even static and static electricity and friction from a t-shirt would yes. affect them. So. And, and, you know, you would see some wildly unusual figures and maybe it was the battery was running out, that sort of stuff. So, again, then you look at it and think, well, how accurate is a chest strap? Yeah. Um, and you say they're easy to wear. I yeah. I totally no. disagree. Yeah, no. I'd, yeah. Well, they're, they're not easy when you're running. When you're cycling, they're all right. Yeah. And so I still wear a chest strap when I'm riding because it's it's it's, it's no problem. It's, it's not an issue for me then. But what I have got here is this, is this cool little device called a uh, Polar Verity Sense. Yeah, and um, this is this is a good this is a great heart rate monitor. Now, actually, I'll I'll, I'll jump ahead. I'll, I'll jump back a little bit. Polar have probably the best chest strap in the market. It's called the H10. Okay, and that that's in terms of accuracy is probably one of the best heart rate monitors you can get. Yeah. from a chest strap perspective. Yeah, um, really really good battery life. Um, really easy to to use, and, and they last they last for ages and ages. My H10 is probably probably coming off along five or six years. Yeah. Um, I know Garmin and Wahoo have, have similar things as well, but I've heard good and bad about their stuff. Um, I mean, and the fact that um, maybe they have some, some issues just around reliability. Yeah. And um, sometimes they, they pack up a little bit sooner. But my Polar one, it's always seemed to have been super reliable. So, But then I, I got this Verity Sense, which is an armband type. Now, it's an optical, so yes. you can see when I turn it on, you get these little lights yes, coming in. like under my watch. Yep, like under the watch. But then when it's on your arm, it's yeah. it's, it's on nice and tight. Yeah. Not too tight because it can be adjusted. But there's no light getting under there. And when you, when, it ha when you have it on your arm, not like your wrist where you've got movement, your arm's always pretty much in the same place yeah. except for, for moving backwards and forwards. But there's no actual physical movement where it's going to get light exposure underneath it. So that's that, and that's a, a wicked little unit. Um, and I've used this for um, all my workouts since, and I've, I've, it's never dropped out or anything. Um, it's great because it's USB chargeable. Yeah. So now we don't have that issue of um, having to find a 2032 battery to put into a heart rate monitor. Yes. You can just check on the app how much battery life in it. Sweet, there's, an, there's enough to get for this run, or I'll put it on my um, put on put on charge, um, and it charges up really quickly, and the battery life is really long. There's a couple other things that it's got within it that is quite good for um, coaches is that 
inside that, when you clip it out, you can see there's that ring around yes. inside the unit. Now that's actually an antenna. So a coach can stand in one part of the track yeah. and an athlete can be running around it and that antenna will still send the signal to, to them. So there's an app on the phone, you can connect to the unit, you can see the live heart rate data from oh, an athlete who's running around the track. Yeah. So um, it would work in um, cycling velodromes, it would work in um, track athletic workouts. tracks. Yep, yep. So that's it, a really, really cool innovation. The other thing I really like about it is, um, and this is the other great thing, um, it's got this clip. Again, it's got a antenna hoop in there. Yeah. And you clip it in and it becomes a swim heart rate monitor. Amazing. And so that clips onto your goggles. Yeah. Um, now, I, I don't use it for open water because it hasn't got a GPS track to it. Yeah. But I use it for um, pool training. Yeah. And um, clips on your goggles, sits inside your head, and it even detects heart rate through my swim cap. Which, which is that blew my mind because yes. I thought, how the how the hell does it do that? But it does it. Yeah. So I'm not gonna not gonna question. Yeah. It seems spot on accurate, um, and um, and you can set a pull distance. You can connect it to the phone app, set the pull distance, and it measures how much how far you're swimming. Oh. And you work out. Oh my goodness. So you yeah. get out of it, and I, maybe it measures it one or two laps, either long or short. Yeah. But it's always right in the vicinity. Yeah. So So. Um, yeah, I, I, I am actually in awe of this little unit. It's really, really cool. Um, I So I would use it in triathlon. I wouldn't use it in the open water because um, I don't want to get it knocked off. Yeah. For some point. I, it's, I mean, it's it's pretty sturdy, but it could easily get knocked off. But I would use it um, in the run leg of an Ironman because I, I've quite often I've taken my chest strap off because it's just been so annoying and uncomfortable. Um, the other thing, so a little bit talking about open water swimming, um, so we use our watches obviously for open water swim. Yeah. And so often I come back and an athlete will go, uh, well they'll do a seven point three on Ironman and you know it's a two k swim or three point eight k swim. They'll come back and they're like, I must be wildly off course because the swim the swim was um, you know six hundred meters long or something. <laughs> or, yeah. or must I must swim the course short because it was short. And what you got to understand is again you only is it's only as good as the information that's being provided. Yeah. And if you think about it. Um, if your watch is out of the water, it's got a GPS signal. If it's in the water, it hasn't got a GPS signal. Of course. So, and it depends on the sampling rate of how quickly it pulls that GPS signal from from the satellite to your watch yeah. as to how accurate that measurement will be. Yeah. And then the GPS, it really doesn't know how... We're not using NASA-level, <laughs> US military-level GPS here. It doesn't really know that you're in the spot. You could be anywhere, maybe 20-meter diameter. Yeah. Um, away from where you actually are so so that's often why there's inaccuracies in in data when you when you take a measurement from a swim um you know i always tell people you just you don't rely on the watch telling you what's what's accurate and it's the same with the run as well right same with with, running yeah i remember with topor 50k getting to or you go around the headland and they said it no they didn't actually say it um we got i got to the aid station just before you head back down and i thought i had maybe 6k to go and it was 3k or something yes. because they'd yeah. lost 3k whilst we were going around and that was going the like best that. news of my life <laughs> yeah I yeah know. and the other thing is if you um if you're riding beside beside somebody you're running beside somebody and um and you look at your data afterwards and one person's distance is, is wildly different to yours or the elevation is wildly different again if you if you take that scenario where you're running on a trail and it's twisty turny 
and it doesn't pick up those those differences. It might pick it up on one person, it might not on the other person. Ah, yes. And the other thing is, if you're running on a steep trail, um, and we talk about accuracy of GPS maybe being within that 20 meters, 20 meters away, you could be 300 meters down a ravine or something, yes. and it thinks, oh, we're down there, and yeah. suddenly we're back up here, and that's yeah. why the that's why the altitude can be so different. Yeah. So again, it comes back to that thing of how useful is this data if we don't know how accurate it is. Yeah. So yeah. so don't be a slave to the numbers. But be a, be a, use the numbers wisely yeah. and understand what they what they give us. It makes sense. So with that amazing heart rate monitor, which I saw you wear this morning, which I could totally I'm totally down with an armband. Yeah. Um, you said that the, even though it was polar, it would connect to my Garmin watch. Yeah. So it's it's Bluetooth. Okay. Um, low low energy Bluetooth, so it's got a really really long battery life, and it yeah. will connect to any any other Bluetooth compatible device. Amazing. So Garmin, Polar, Wahoo. Apple, Apple, yep, yeah. all those, yeah. um, and it's got offline recording, which is the other cool thing. So even if you're, even if you don't have your watch, yeah, it'll still record your workout, oh. and then you come back afterwards and it'll upload it. So it hasn't got GPS, yeah. but it'll still see that you've done a workout. There's some data there. It'll put it onto the app. So you just yeah. need to turn it on, yeah, put it on, go for it, and yeah. then you can do all the sort of uploading and the and everything later. Yeah, when you come back, yeah, yeah. it actually automatically uploads as soon as you turn Amazing. it off. Yeah, it goes into sync mode. Yeah. And it looks for your phone. Yeah. And if it hasn't found your phone, then it will just turn off. And if it has, it will send the data straight to it. How much is that, Rob? Uh, I think that's $190, I think. Oh, that is well worth yeah, it. Yeah, so worth it. And like I say, battery life is, is, is awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're in the market for a more accurate power me uh, heart rate monitor, then the, the Polar Verity is really good. Um, but... They, I mean, Polar actually say the most accurate one of theirs is the H10 chest strap. Yeah. So, so obviously they think that there's there's more to the chest strap than the armband. Yeah. But I haven't seen enough in the armband to say, oh, I'm not happy with it. Like I'm yeah. perfectly happy with the information it's giving. Yeah, cool. Um, and the ease of use and the reliability is really yeah. good. So yeah, that's a good option. Okay, so I do want to ask you about two more, and the other one is the one that you were just playing around with, and that's. Core. Yes. And I've not heard of Core before, which is unsurprising because I'm not much of a gadget person. But um, can you talk us through what Core is? Well, Core, these are interesting. This is quite new. And I was I was contacted by, I'll give him a bit of a shout out, um, Barry Stevens for Domestique. Oh, yeah. Who um, hires out smart trainers and um, all lots of little gadgets and stuff like that and uh, for, for people's um, indoor training. And he's got access to some of these pretty cool devices so this is the core body sense um and as you can see i just clipped it off my heart rate heart rate strap there yeah um so what it does and it's it's so what it does is, is it attaches to your heart rate strap the yeah. most accurate position for it is to be directly next to your next to your chest but yeah. as i as i said i don't use a chest strap when i'm running so i attach it to my armband which yeah. i still think is pretty close but talking to will o'connor at the rotary marathon apparently you do lose a little bit of body heat through the limbs, yeah. but probably not enough for to be concerned. Okay. But there is actually an adhesive patch you can put on it, and it will stick to your to your body. Oh, good idea. Um, which I haven't used yet, but um, but I'll, I'll give that a go one day. So so what it does is it it's a non-invasive external measurement of core temperature. Obviously, there's other ways of doing it, and which aren't as comfortable. But this one you can do real time during workout body temperature monitoring. Yeah. Now the really interesting thing about this is um, we come back to that discussion of heat training. Yes. Now, um, and I, ha I haven't had this long enough to really dive into the the details of it, but um, the 
it, we all have our own optimal range to train it in body temperatures. Yeah. Um, some people might be quite adapted to heat, so they can operate for, for higher body temperatures than others. Um, and so what you're supposed to be able to do with this is, is do a workout, um, and it's a set protocol to determine what your body temperature range is. Yeah. Um, and from there you can... Um, uh, at the moment, the, way, the with the device I'm using, I retrospectively look at how effective a workout was. Yeah. But with some, um, Garmin and Wahoo have real-time body temperature monitoring. So on my Wahoo unit from on my bike, um, I can actually see what my real-time oh, nice. um, temperature is. On my Polar, it doesn't doesn't have a have a um, connection with the Polar, so I don't get real-time heat training. But with your Garmin, it will. So um, so you can actually be running along and you can see what your core body temperature is, which is a massive thing. I mean, we race in the heat and you see people um, collapse during a race uh, and from, from the effects of heat. Um, and you just wonder to yourself, you know, if you had that knowledge that I'm overheating here, I'm in trouble, I'm getting out of my optimal zone into, yeah. a, into a danger zone, I need to employ some cooling strategies um, or slow, slow down. Um, you know, how much would that affect the people's races? And I think that's such a valid point because as much as we talk about experienced athletes uh, being in tune with how they feel and feeling and how they're operating, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to then take the next steps to yeah. actually change what's in front of them, particularly if you are highly competitive or you're sort of uh, quite myopic about your goal. Like mm. you might think, oh, I think I'm overcooking it, but then it's very easy to talk yourself out of making changes to the current strategy. Yeah. You're not that flexible. Yeah. Exactly. So having that data could be a real game. It, it could be. Um, the interesting thing with this is... Uh, I mean, and I've done quite a few workouts with it. Yeah. And I want to get to the point where I'm actually in, a, in an overheating state because I really want to see what that felt like at the time and, um, you know, how, you know, you know, how do I perceive that, you know, you know and, and, and how effective, how much impact did it have on the performance? And I haven't actually got to there. So I'm quite good in the heat. Yeah. <laughs> and I just wonder if my body's quite efficient. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it's an AUT season or three. <laughs> yeah, year. it could be. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, like, I recorded it today yeah. in our run. And uh, it was pretty warm, but it wasn't, it wasn't crazy. 28 degrees I had it. 28, right. Yeah. And now, now my body temperature capped out at um, 30, uh, 30, 38.1. Okay. Which, which is not... It's not massive. Like I, I've done indoor trainer sessions, um, for example, um, earlier this week or earlier this month, I did a I did an indoor trainer session, and I I hit thirty eight point six. So, and and when I'm on my indoor trainer, I've got two fans, and I don't often uh, just wear a light singlet over the yeah. top. So heaps of cooling going on, but um, uh, working real hard because it yeah. was a it was a Zwift race. Yeah. Um, and I was actually at a hotter state than I was today in real world hot hot climate. Yeah. So you can see different situations affect people quite differently. What was your baseline? Um, well, when I put it on, yeah. it was thirty. It was just under thirty eight, so probably thirty seven point eight, thirty seven point seven. And yeah. and today when I put it on, it was um, uh, baseline would have been. Yeah, probably thirty six point eight. Yeah. So, you know, most of us are around thirty seven, thirty eight degrees. Yeah. Um, 
I think it's probably pretty normal. So yeah, I mean, and when you're exercising, you're going into the the, the, the low to mid 38s, yeah. maybe high. When you're getting up around 40, that's when you know you're in trouble. So there's actually quite a lot of room for me to move before I'm in a in a state that I'm I'm I've got to be concerned. And like I said, I haven't I haven't actually got that high yet. I haven't even got over 39, which I'm hoping I can go and do a workout while we're here. And then you'll get there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do you, you know, I imagine that using a, a temperature gauge, like an air temperature gauge, and calibrating it, and just to see what the difference is, is how it's reading it on your arm versus, yeah. you know, that would be quite a that good thing to do. That would be, yeah, I yeah. probably should do that. That would be really interesting to see. Yeah. Um, because, like, again, this is some information that I don't know enough about. And, and how useful this information will be. But the technology and the equipment's there, and if you've got the time and if you've got the ability to, to, to use it and try it out and do some um, comparison, some com calibration, the, the use of it could be huge. Like, it'd be so effective. And so I, I know, and these are expensive. This is an expensive little unit. How much? So I think it's around 500 bucks. Yeah, it is. I wouldn't, and I didn't have it on my strap properly one day because it's got a clip, and I thought, I don't need the clip. And I was running along and it fell off and I almost lost it. I was running along an Iraqi boardwalk and I almost lost it in the water. Nice. And I thought that's not a good move. Nice. So I used the clip from now on. Yeah. Um, but, um, I mean, they are expensive, but, you know, it's one of those things that you, you, you weigh up the pros and cons of it. And, and actually, you know, if, if you're wanting to get the most out of yourself and perform at your absolute best, then those are one of the things that you consider, well, this is probably yeah. quite, a, quite a good spend. Um, but yeah, it's it's very very new technology, but it's actually pretty cool, and um, I'm really looking forward to, to to trying it in the real world heat and yeah. seeing seeing actually what it can do. And then when I get home, I'll get a bit more range, and then I can do some more. I can do the. I haven't done the indoor training protocol yet to try and find my zones, but I will be able to do that and compare it to how it was when we were running here, yeah. and go actually the the training I was doing here I wasn't I wasn't going anywhere near my optimal yeah. zone, and I wasn't anywhere near near my danger zone. Well, to be fair, yeah. you and I with uh, will be running together tomorrow, and you will not be getting near your zone. So <laughs> we'll the see. intensity is not going to be that high. Now, so finally, before we move on to stride, uh, did remind me did Dr. Will O'Connor rate core, or does he think, as you sort of suggested, that this is great, and now we just need more data and more information? Yeah, we we both sort of said something. We haven't had it long enough. Yeah, but. We're really interested to see what it could what it could do. Yeah, cool. Um, but it would be hard to to train an athlete to to a, a body temperature number because I, I think it's it's hard to get people into that state of uh, of over of of high temp, high body temperature. Yeah. And and how useful that would be, I'm not I'm not too sure. Yeah. Um, but I guess if someone was wanting to to do some of their own heat training and knowing that to, to, to be act, to be optimal, they need to be at a certain body temperature, then um, they could set up their environment with their indoor trainer and whether or not they use a fan or they keep a, some, some jacket, you know, a jacket on or some leg warmers, le you know, long leg, leggings, and maybe, maybe that way then they can know, all right, I need to get my body temperature to about here, and that's where I'm actually optimizing my heat training. So, so yeah, I prefer, if anyone does have one of these of my athletes, I'll probably get them to do that protocol and then just, just advise them that this is the, the body temperature that you need to be working at to be effective. And if you're not in that body temperature, then it's not it's not having the desired effect. Okay. So you've got to take strategies to get there. Then I guess, um, if we sort of circle back to my power question earlier, 
if you had that data and you knew that this was the potential that you could get at at a temperature that they might experience here, yeah. then they'll have a better understanding of where their power might sit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you come back to that and go, well, this is this is what I'm showing in my home lab. Yeah. So it should be what it's doing in real life. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, it's the, the, I just have to have to warn people with heat training that it's you know it, it does sound like a great great thing to do, but it, there are some dangers with it. Yeah. Um, you know, you can do too much. Um, you don't, and there is a, I, I, and I think the the team at AUT would say the same thing. There is a diminishing return over yeah. a certain period of time. Yeah. So coming into Kona, the heat protocol starts about three weeks out yes. of them arriving, not prior to the race. So. So, um, you know, do you need to be doing heat training through your off-season? Probably not. Yeah. Um, so how effective is this thing through that phase? Probably not that effective. But um, if you um, – and the other thing with heat, with training in the heat is the, the protocol for the workouts, it's all low intensity. Yeah. Like you, you're, in, you're on the trainer and in AUT, they set it to 36 degrees, 60% humidity, yeah. and you're riding at about um, 50% of your threshold. Yeah power and your heart rate's already like 160 170 180 yes. so you, you soon realize i don't need to ride any harder than this yeah doing this for an hour and a half is absolute torture yeah but i'm getting massive gains from it so so yeah with people who do do investigate heat training just be aware that it's not all sexy and, and hard out training it's just sitting on the bike for yeah. a long long time at very very low intensity yeah <laughs> Torturing yourself. Torturing yourself. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, Rob, you mentioned, and we were just chatting about where this technology is. And, of course, when we were last here in Kona, which was three years ago, I believe actually it was before three years ago, I can't remember when Stride came to market. It might have actually been 2018. Yeah, it was before um, that. And I, and you were an early adopter to Stride, the power yeah. meter for runners. And at that time, you were very much on that same page of, we don't really know enough about it. It could be useful. I'm giving it a go. And here you are still using it. Yeah, so it's funny, actually. It started ages ago. And version one was a heart rate strap, yeah. a unit on a heart rate monitor. Yeah. And um, and so what it would do is it would, it would measure, it had accelerometers in it, and it would measure the movement of your body in the different planes and it would measure how far you went, what your body weight was, and therefore how much power was required or what, what, that, what that movement at speed um, related to power output. So it would create this, this value. And being a chest strap, it's, it was less accurate than a foot pod. Now, this was back in about 2000 and, geez, I'll probably say 2010. Okay. And it was funny because I was going through Rebel Sport in Tauranga and I saw they had one on sale and it was real cheap. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is real cheap. And I reckon it was because they didn't actually know what it, what it was. Yeah, so I went yeah. and bought it. Yeah. And I got it and I was like, this is kind of cool. But it was not quite there. And yeah. and the guys at Stride, I, you know, I, I get in touch with them a lot. They would, would have said the same thing. Yeah. But they came out with a foot pod, which makes a lot more sense because it's attached to your shoe. And your shoe is the source of the movement. Yeah. And it's the most accurate thing. It's the closest to the ground. And the foot pod was great because it would, it would still... You know, you'd still use your body weight. You'd still calibrate it to your body weight, and um, and that would provide you with a power power figure. And and it was a good unit. What what it didn't do was it it wouldn't equate for wind. So ah. so you'd be running along with the tailwind and going quite fast. Amazing, I love that feeling. Yeah, going fast, 
But then the power meter is looking at it going, this guy's smashing it. He's putting out heaps of watts. Yeah, so can. so your power meter would be really high, power reading would be high. And then the turn around, go into the headwind, going creeping along, and it's thinking, um, this guy's going super slow. So the power meter is really low. And actually the power that you're putting out was way higher. So so that made things real difficult and accuracy was pretty poor at that so time. When was that? Uh, that was uh, must have been twenty around 2012, 2013, I think. Okay. And then um, and then they, I don't know how they do it, eh? but they came out with this new device, which has got this little hole in the front. Yeah. And that hole, you can't get it filled up with air, with, with dirt, because it affects it. That hole measures how much air is going through the device. Oh, amazing. And, and now it would determine the air resistance as your foot's moving through wind, which is coming towards you. So a headwind creates more resistance, tailwind creates less resistance. And it would therefore know that Right, this person's um, a certain percentage of the air resistance is related to the wind. Okay. And so now, when you when you look at the the data from the run, um, you can actually see how much air resistance was applied to the output that you're doing for that run. Okay, so it's got some some uh, raw data, and then it's got wind adjusted yep. data. Yeah. And so, and which now comes back to the if I'm in a race and it's a headwind. There's so much more benefit in being at the back of a pack of runners than there is of being in the front, and it makes your your race strategy so much more improved because you because you know I'm just saving so much energy here. Okay, but I don't have a stride, and I would already know that. Yeah, it's that's why a lot of the time it's you know you were just we're just telling ourselves what we already know. Yeah. But it's nice it's nice to have a, a figure yes. to go back and I remember that section of that course yeah. and it was real windy and I was doing 5% less work than I would have if I was at the front of the group. Uh, I agree. Yeah. And I can Which see pretty cool. you would really rate some of that information. And now they've come out with a new one and it comes out in November. I've already ordered it. Yeah. It's a little bit more expensive than this one. But it's uh, a lot more accurate. So what this wouldn't do is it wouldn't accurately measure sprint power. Okay. So if you're doing um, like hill, 10 second hill sprints and stuff like that, it wouldn't it wouldn't pick up that that value so quickly. So you, you'd start doing an effort, and five five or six seconds into it, you look at your watch and it would say you're doing 180, 180 watts, and then suddenly it would go up to 400. And so it's it's tidied that up, so it's oh, going nice. to be a lot more accurate. So it doesn't make much difference for endurance athletes like us. But I think what you'll start seeing now is sprinters utilizing it. Yeah. Um, they 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 brought out some wild claim that we're going to start seeing some nine second sub nine second hundred meters okay. and 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 this was years and years ago and I yeah. thought ah oh, yeah, whatever maybe but now I'm actually thinking well, I can understand how how they can see that now because if you're getting um, you know millisecond accurate information yeah. then someone who's training for a sprint event could probably get some benefit from using this sort of thing yeah um, so we might start seeing that coming through in more sprint type. Athletes. So you said you just said that you don't think endurance runners would benefit as much, but actually I was just thinking about myself going up Air Street or Baz doing like hill repeats for his ultra running. Yeah. Like I think there you would, you know, like because we often talk about well it's not pace it's intensity mm. when we're going up these hills. So don't worry so much that you're at six minutes, okay, seven and a half minutes. <laughs> worry more about where your heart rate is at or maybe yeah. with an advice like that. So where your power is at. Yeah, and it is it is really accurate for that. Like, yeah. you know, I do hill repeats. Um, I've got a favourite hill that I do it on, and uh, I can just dial into a power, and in my mind it's like, well, this is the effort for, for the run, and yeah. I'll look at my watch at the top of the hill, and the average power for, for that segment was exactly what I thought it would be. Yeah. So, and because I've used it enough, I now know, but for those people who are new to it, 
it's a really, really good tool for, for intervals. Um, and it's a really, really good, it's a brilliant tool for racing, particularly yeah. um, particularly triathlon racing where the run leg is less, less about being in the race but more about being in your own race. Yeah. Mar- racing a marathon, if you wanted to win the race, you've got to be at the front of the group. Yeah. Um, I haven't won a marathon, but you have. So you can tell me what it's like. But if you're wanting to go for a personal best time or you're wanting to beat a time target, you can look at you can look at the information and go, well, to do this time, I need to run at this power. Yeah. So if you're running along three Ks into it and you're 15 watts over your target power, why are you doing that? You know, how's that going to last? You've got to slow down. And yeah. it, it is that accurate that um, that doing that will, will yield those results. And super easy to get people to do negative splits with this. Because oh, all you do is you say, Run it at five watts less than your target for the first half. Run it at five watts over your target for the second half. And as you get close to the finish line, if you're feeling good, you're always going to pick it up anyway. Yeah. And suddenly people pop under their marathon targets with a you know minute negative split, that sort of thing. See, I feel like knowing that information would be an easier buy-in than, say, running three seconds slower, which is essentially the same yeah. thing, but you're using instead of pace rather than a power outlet. Maybe it's just because I've never used power before because as a runner, I mean, that's been my only option. I've not bothered. Yeah. But if for someone to say, okay, Mickey, well, if you just run at 453s, then you'll do a negative split. I would I'm intu- like intellectualize that, Yeah. but I would find it difficult to run slower because I'd be like, oh, yeah. sure. I don't know. So I, I might actually, if I didn't rely on pace i might actually buy into it it's super easy to chase up to knock five watts off because yeah. yeah you don't know what you're doing on a on a climb in terms of output anyway yeah. i did an interesting self-experiment at rotary marathon so i wanted to run under three hours and and i ran with the three hour pacer and um i won't blame him for ruining my race but i'll, prob- <laughs> I'll probably blame my my crappy strategy and yeah. that we were going up we were going you know it's quite hilly running back we were going at, like my t- my power target was 300 watts. Yeah. All I had to do was 300 watts, no problem. Now we're running up those hills, and I was looking at my watch, going, I was running along, going, this is pretty hard to keep up with this three-hour pacer. Looked at my watch, I'm doing 350 watts. Oh, and I'm mate. like, I'm like, you know, in your mind that this is the wrong thing to do. So yeah, why don't you slow it. down? I'm not going to slow down because the guy's there. I need to follow him. And so that's your competitive strength. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So and then down the other side, you know. Because it's going downhill, the power power was a lot less. Yeah. What I should have done is slowed up on the climb and pushed harder on the down, yeah. and had an even number. And um, you know, everything that I know and everything that I've told, told myself for every run I've done, I, I put up, chucked it out the window for this race. But it was a great experiment to to say to myself, well, you know now that actually it does have that much impact. And, and actually, you just what you just described is pretty much almost every athlete out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so if if you do use this, use these devices, actually create a plan and stick to it yeah. because because the plan will the plan will work if you if you know what you've told yourself, you know, for what you created. Yeah. Um. So that was a that was a really really good experiment. I'm actually glad it happened because because now I can come away from it and, and have that much more confidence in telling my athletes that. Yeah, this is this is what you'll do today. Yeah. Um, and you go about doing everything sensible to get yourself to that finish line in your best shape. And if you stick to this number, this is the time I think we can do. So, Rob, you mentioned that a new device is out in November. Do you know a rough estimate of what it might cost? Um, US, I think, was two eighty, which is not good now because US dollars so bad. Yeah. But um, yeah, and and I sort of said people are like, oh, it's quite expensive. And I'm like, yeah, but you know. 
you spend a lot of money on race shoes. Yeah. And, and a race shoe might last you for for you know three or four good races. Yeah. Whereas this thing, I've had this one for four years, and it's nice. still kicking along, eh? Like you know, and it the power the charge lasts for a long time. Yeah. Um. So and you know. If you've got a target and a goal in mind, then then and you've got the information available to you, then it's it's good to use it. But again, you've got to use it uh, as a coach quite often. If I get it, if I have athletes who don't really like using it, and I'm totally cool, some people don't find it that useful. I'll say to them, just use it anyway, because I want to collect that data because it means more to me than it does to you. Yeah. Because I'd need then be able to go to that back to the athlete with the knowledge that they don't follow their power, but I can then look at how the output that they're doing in their workouts and manipulate that for me and planning it forward for them, yeah. knowing that all right, this will actually work for this athlete because I know they're going to run at this effort or this pace. Yeah. I need to make sure that the power training that I've given them has matched up to be able to do that. Yeah, and cool. we may not talk about power, effort, but as long as they're wearing it, I can at least see that value. And okay. as a coach, it's, that's really useful. Awesome. So, Rob, um, before we move on to just our final um, uh, wearable slash sort of data information thing. So, obviously, there will always be people who will either not want to use any of it or some people who are new to it and are just wanting to try maybe one of what we've sort of talked through today. Hmm. Maybe power meter on the bike aside, because as I understand it, almost every single traffic has that. Oh, they do now. <laughs> yeah, nowadays. But which one do you view? If you could choose, if you had to choose one, what would you view as the most beneficial? What would provide you with the most information? I would probably go to heart rate. Yeah. Because so there's there's two things. There's the thing you get out of a heart rate is the intent yes. of the athlete. Yes. The, what you what you get with power is the output. So. The output can mean can be affected by so many different variables. But if the athlete, if the number that you're seeing is the effort the athlete's putting into the the what they're what they're doing in terms of their workout or their race, then that's a huge that's a huge benefit to be able to know that. Yeah. Quite often, I'll I'll have athletes that, and I actually I get annoyed with it actually. I do tell them they'll do a workout with a power meter, but they won't have a heart rate, and it's like. It doesn't tell me anything. Yeah, like yeah, I can see yeah. what you're putting out, but I don't know what you put into it. Yeah. Like how yeah, do I? How is your recovery going to go? What, yeah. You know, are you going to yeah. smash your? Is this, <laughs> you just smashed yourself and unable to do the next three workouts? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and and did you just have a really good power value? Um, and but you you've sent yourself to the wall. Yeah. Um, because all I can see is one side of the story. So give me give me both sides of it. So yeah, I get annoyed if they don't use a heart rate monitor. So. Um, and and I don't understand why they don't use a heart rate monitor. Like, you know, maybe it's uncomfortable. Well, now we've got a solution around that. Yes. Um, I'll accept that. Mum, sometimes the batteries run flat. We can get away with that. But yeah, the heart rate's probably the number one. Um, the other thing that I, uh, oh, I, you know, I think, um, oh, what was I going to say? There was one other interesting thing. Anyway, it'll come back to me. Um, we do, I do want to touch on. Continuous glucose monitors. Yes. So you. Final one that I yeah. Talk about. Yeah. I I haven't done anything with them. So, and I. Oh, one other thing. Sorry, I'll take you back. Yeah. I wish lactate was more accessible to the general population, general athlete population. Lactate, and I believe that's probably what the Norwegians are doing to be so effective in their training. Um, I think lactate, even though it's an old measure, I think it gives probably the the one of the most reliable 
pieces of information for us. Because I picture. see Dr. Hannah Wells on her Instagram and I can see at the end of, say, uh, this was just like a couple of days ago, and of course she trains under Bev, who's mm. our great mate, mm. um, uh, and and she, I'm pretty sure it looks like she's got some testing stuff yeah. here, and I wonder whether I wondered if that was lactate that yeah. she might be using. I, I reckon so, and I, I wish I wish I, like I've even asked if some places if I can get hold of one, and the the, the testing units aren't aren't too bad. It's the test strips that are so expensive, yes. and um, it's like man, can't can't they just like they can make heart rate monitors so cheap? Yeah, and um, you know. They, they talk about them being, um, you know, super medical grade accuracy and stuff like that. Well, just give me a lactate, lactate test that's yeah. reliable yeah. because that, that would probably be the, the most effective thing because that way we're seeing how the body's adapting to the work and how that adaptation has taken place over time. Yeah. And um, if you can see an athlete's doing intervals and they're, and they're outside of their target lactate, then you've got to change those intervals. Yeah, cool. Um, so, yeah, that would be... Oh, man, if there and there for a while there, there was a um a sock, a calf sock that was claiming to be uh, a non-invasive lactate yeah. measure. Don't think it worked very well. Oh, no. But I thought, man, wouldn't that be wicked? Like if they could build a lactate optical lactate unit <laughs> like this, amazing. Life would be so easy. But yeah, so I think I think that's probably probably one thing that we're missing in the in the general age group population is the easy access to that sort of stuff. Well, we don't know yet what's in the expo at Kona. Oh, man, hopefully. In a couple of days, have a debrief as to any surprise, yeah. interesting things, because you just never know. Yeah. Something but, might be sort of hiding. Yeah. The, uh, so the tell me about glucose monitors then. I mean, would, would, would we want to use one or not? To be honest, Rob, I don't know how applicable they are to an athlete's understanding of their requirements outside mm. of what they can already tell when you're running along running out of fuel yeah you know like at the moment it appears that those continuous glucose monitors are still playing catch up on when you, on where your blood sugar is at right and maybe that will change and i'm, I'm sure it will and i had taylor uh Sittler on and he is head of research and development at levels which is sort of runs aside super safe yeah if you like. yeah um and we know that the, um, the interstitial fluid, the glucose measured in that, is is a touch behind what you might see in the actual bloodstream. Okay. So my as and I know that at the minute the the like the um, the companies like Levels and like Super Sapiens are collecting a bunch of data on our elite athletes and they have all of this information about them. But I just don't know how they can mm. use that. Mm. You know, like. From a sort of day-by-day uh, -day perspective, super helpful to give athletes an understanding of how foods affect them and their training. Like, if they notice that they're eating foods which spike and then crash their blood sugar, and then they wonder why their afternoon training so rubbish, mm. whether that will help them make those links. Even though, probably, a professional, like a dietitian or a coach or a nutritionist, may be able to make those links anyway. Sometimes mm. having that data right in front of them is actually the catalyst for them to change behaviour. So yeah. behaviour change could be one, but but I think the jury is out as to the usefulness whilst training. Are they exactly the same as diabetics would use? Or is there some differences there? Yes, they are, but the apps are different. Oh, okay. So the okay. apps are the thing which really are able to pull out the data, but the actual units themselves yeah. are same and they just integrate with it, which 
surprises me that we are unable to access them in New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. If you know, it's a matter of the app being available because the unit is the same. Yeah, and I believe they're quite expensive. They are ninety bucks for fourteen days. That's a lot of money. It has a lot of money, but you wouldn't you would use it uh, for a fourteen day period potentially to give us a, an idea of how your usual mm. diet impacts you. And then actually, it would where it would be helpful would be for an athlete in their base training if they're wanting to do some fat adaptation, which you know I'm a massive mm. fan of, and, and I yeah. understand you have some interest in it, but you keep eating too many pineapple fruits. Oh man, no, but outside of that, so, so I have good moments. Yeah, you, no, I know. I'm just teasing that one. Um, you're, but but for that base phase training, like when you're trying to do fat adaptation, understanding how sleep, how stress and how food impacts their blood sugar, which mm. then obviously changes their adaptation to being able to burn more fat. Mm. That could be helpful. Yeah. The other thing I, I kind of have a feeling around with some of this information is we're getting this information, but we don't know what to do with it as well. So so Power Meters came out with a left-right measure um, to say, oh, 45% left, 55% right. People say, oh, you know, well, that's pretty good. And it's like, well, is it? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, how and, do we know? Yeah, how do we, and by the way, what do we do with that information? So, yeah. so start doing single legged squats? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> so, so sometimes you're like, well, yeah, we, get, we can have this information available to us, but right now it's not actually giving us much what we need. But if they're collecting data and two or three years down the track, we have this super reliable machine which, which can tell us all this information, then that's cool. Let's see it. And I actually think from a, if I'm a geek about it, I think that those continuous glucose monitors would be super helpful in athletes who are lean. Yeah. Who think that because they are lean, that it doesn't actually matter what they're putting into their body, particularly the lean athletes who are also performing well. Yeah. Because we both know that being a healthy athlete is actually really different from being a high performing athlete they're not necessarily um integrated so mm. you and you want both and maybe and actually we know health actually doesn't matter that much to performance in the short term but the longevity of the athlete really does is dictated by how healthy they're able to remain and i and look we know this and we know from the recovery and the training standpoint mm. but the diet stuff is so important so if you're an athlete out there doing a two-hour zone two ride in chewing down gels and cliff bars and the rest of it, mm. then and if you get that real-time data as to what's happening to your blood sugar or either in the session or later, then that might be enough to spur them to change behaviour. Yeah, and I think um, the whole story that I'm giving my athletes, because a lot of them will underfuel at the wrong the wrong time, yes. thinking it's to give them the right thing. Yeah. And and it's like you got you have to fuel for the training you're doing. Yeah. And if you've got a hard workout, you need, you need to, to fuel that. Yeah, otherwise you're not going to be hitting those targets that we talk about, yeah. and that's why you'll be disappointed. And it's such a such a challenge. It's like, why do you why do you want to make life harder? <laughs> you know, it's interesting, Rob, because of course you know that um, over the years um, I've really changed my um, what I recommend people do. And there'd be a time when I'd tell them to always have carbohydrate. Then there was the time I told them never to have carbohydrate. And mm. now, like you, I'm on that got a feel for the work required mm. because when you go into a hard workout and under fuel then that is going to set you up one to not hit your target and get as fit mm. or as trained and then adapt as well but two it's really going to change what you do for the rest of the day yeah and the other thing is is, is in the end all we're doing is training for a race yeah 
And in that race, you need to you need to be feeling. Yeah. And if you're not practicing your feeling, and uh, like we practice everything else for our race, yeah. why why don't we practice one of the most important things that's going to get us to the finish line? Yeah. Um, I I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts around. It's probably going too long now, but around um, as we come into the heat. Yeah. The the energy utilization is so much higher in the heat. Yeah. But the difficulty in taking in those energy that energy or those yeah. calories is so much harder. Yeah. How how does an athlete get around that challenge? Well, I keep it short, Rob. Uh, they get fat adapted. Ah, nice. And therefore, yeah. because your glucose utilization is so much higher, yeah. your ability to rely more on your fat will help delay that reliance on glucose. And so, yeah. it's, and it's never about no carb. And I know that you know that. Yeah. But it's certainly not, and of course there'll be an element of training to sort of reach your peak um, carb um, sort of usage. But, and I think this is where Matt Kerr has mm. really um, uh, been sort of schooled in this um, arena as well. So he's the New Zealand mm. um, athlete who wins everything. Wins everything, he's amazing. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to talking to Grant about his his coach yeah. and my mate, our mate, um, about his strategy. But I think you just need to get more fat adapted. That's the secret. So it's all about adaptation. Heat, about heat and fat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rob, this has been awesome, and um, we will uh, catch up soon again to bring more sort of uh, Hawaii Iron Manness to Wikipedia. Yeah, I can't wait to get to the expo and see what's, see what's hot. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Cheers, Rob. Let's get a beer. <laughs>